Welcome to the Bonner Private Research Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Bowman. Each week, we bring you exclusive conversations with members of Bill Bonner's private research team, as well as some special guests we'll meet along the way. We're trying to connect the dots, from high finance to lowly politics, private investments to public follies, from Wall Street to Main Street, at home and on the road. We're into sound money, personal freedom, classical books, and great wines. Not always in that order. So join me and the rest of the Bonner Private Research team as we pack our bags and follow the money. Never attribute to malice that which may sufficiently be explained by stupidity. That there is Hanlon's razor for you. A rule of thumb that often proves useful when reading the news of the world. We had reason to recall it just this past week, in fact, when we read that the government in our sometimes country of residence, Argentina, had recently imposed a ban on meat exports, ostensibly to freeze or control prices for local consumption. You've heard the argument for such market meddling before, no doubt, or some version of it. A populist leader whose own rampant money printing has led to consumer and price inflation in the broader economy, and official numbers put that at about 50% down on the pampas year over year, points his proverbial finger at the evil producers, those capitalist pigs who are taking advantage of the poor man on the street, ringing him for every penny or peso he is worth. How could he be so darned heartless, they'll say, and during a pandemic, no less. Hmm, the government must do something, must step in, must save the day for voters, committed and prospective alike. And so the said leader appears on television, and amid the usual bluster and rhodomontade, determines to take on those filthy profit-seekers on behalf of his embattled constituents. But what's really going on here? Argentina's farmers, the fifth biggest beef exporters on the planet, sell their produce where they can get the best price. And why not? They have expenses to pay, machines to maintain, payrolls to meet. Why would they sell the fattened calf for pesos when they could sell them for dollars or euro or yen? It's not their fault the government is frittering away the value of the local currency. Why should they and their employees suffer? As with all such government meddling and interferences, we predict this one will likely have the exact opposite effect as that which is being advertised. In other words, unable to sell for dollars abroad, producers will have to settle for pesos at home. And as the money dwindles, or the value of it thereby, as reliably as night follows day, they will have less capital to invest in farm and plant equipment, meaning their operations will shrink putting downward pressure on supply and eventually driving up those very same prices that the government sought to suppress in the first place. But by then, people will be desperate and an election will be nigh, just in time for that same government to promise to save its voters from that very same fate that it created once again. But enough about South America. We're coming to you from the other end of the world today, That's right, dear listener, we're recording this message for you right here in Texas, belt buckle of the old US of A. And from what we can tell, mind you, it's been only a week since we arrived, things here do seem to be picking up from the pandemic lows. Case numbers here in the Lone Star State, and indeed across the country, 
are less than a tenth of what they were at the pandemic peak. Everywhere we look, we see restaurants opening up, people getting back to work, and commerce picking up pace just in time for Memorial Day weekend, which is the official start of summer here in the US. There are flags up and down the street, star-spangled banners waving in the breeze, and help-wanted signs in every other shop window. Could this really be a return to normalcy? I spoke with my good mate Dan Denning over in Colorado just a couple of days ago to get his take on the matter. We spoke about the nationwide real estate boom, his side hustle as a parks and rec advocate, the inflation numbers, and why some governments, apparently not satisfied with an all-beef diet, are trying to get their populations to switch to insects. Hmm. We've got all that and more in my conversation with Dan up next. There you go. Look at that. Welcome back. Oh, to the States. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, mate. It's uh, as I wrote to our readers slash listeners last week, it was really dumb luck that we ended up getting here when we did because, you know, we were waiting for my daughter's um, passport, which is another good reminder that it's always good to have a second or a third if you can manage it on standby because uh, hers expired during the the lockdown there last year when every embassy member in the world took an extended indefinite vacation <clears throat> as private businesses were struggling along and they were lounging at full pay. Uh, and yeah, we only ended up getting her passport a few days before our flight out of Argentina. And then not 24 hours after we landed here, we got news that, that, uh, that Argentina had um, reinstituted a hard lockdown. So, it was really, yeah, I'm really feeling for our RG mates uh, back home. But it's, um, yeah, it's a reminder, I think, that if there's something you want to do and you've got an opportunity to do it, don't hang around and wait, get it done while you can. Um, but, mate, how are you doing uh, out your way? Yeah, good. Um you know, things have opened up here, uh, literally, you know, the masks have come off and, uh, in a good way, the masks yeah. have come off and, uh, uh, it's, it's, it shouldn't be surprising that people get back to what, whatever normal is pretty quickly. But, you know, the Memorial Day weekend is traditionally the start of the summer season in the U S and this is a resort town or a vacation town with a national park. So it, it's always extremely busy. And uh, that's exciting. You know, it's exciting to, to be alive again. So how is it, I mean, if, if that's kind of a litmus test, the resort towns of America, are you getting a sense that, that we are speeding up to a, a, a full-blown return to normalcy? Um, or, you know, is, <clears throat> is that still some, some ways off? What's your read there? I'd say the the former that it looks like it's full speed ahead. You know, mm. the uh, the number of new COVID cases uh, is lower now than it has been at any time since the very beginning of the pandemic, and that's assuming you know those numbers are real and people are still getting tested. Um, I think just depending on where you're at, the percentage of the adult population that has had two doses of a vac of a vaccine is at least fifty percent in most places and. Mm -hmm. At least nationally, it's 50%. You know, it's higher in, in some places. So whatever um, 
you know, whatever effect that has had both physically and mentally seems to have emboldened people enough to shake hands again, yeah, have coffee together, go to dinner. I, in fact, met our local congressman this weekend because I've uh, I've got a little side hustle where I've been trying to. You've been driving the local congressman around in an Uber, or <laughs> no. <laughs> I've been I've been trying to get the National Park Service to remove uh, the restrictions it placed on entrances last year, and it, it reintroduced them this year. And as you might guess, emergency measures almost never go away, and federal agencies are very difficult to reason with. But anyway, I, I wasn't sure if he would want to shake hands when we met because he's, you know, part of. Uh, he's a great guy, by the way. He he was, took took my call, as it were, and, and we met in public and listened to me, asked a lot of questions. But you know, he'll go back to Washington and they'll have to put masks on when they go on the House floor. So I wasn't sure, but um, I thought that was a good sign. So um, yeah, we'll see. You know, it's uh, it certainly would be good for uh, the earnings of the of the retail industry and the vacation industry and the airlines. And uh, it probably won't be long before people are complaining about what a pain in the butt it is to fly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We had that, we had that magic moment where, you know, we can click and purchase a ticket to a continent, you know, on the other side of the planet in a fashion that Kings and Queens of only a couple of generations ago where it would have not been able to achieve. And it'll all of a, all of a sudden become extremely inconvenient that our Wi-Fi isn't quickly connecting at 40,000 feet. So we can, you know, stream this podcast, for example. But so, I mean, it gets to, I guess, if we're experiencing some, um, it seems like, you know, we're hitting kind of escape velocity out of the, the malaise of the pandemic. And just anecdotally, you know, we shared a, in a, um, a couple of emails before this and here in Texas, um, after a few pretty tough years uh, with regards to the oil and gas industry, um, just anecdotally, you know, I have some friends and family down here who are pretty tapped in uh, to, to that industry. And, and they seem to think that, you know, things are coming back online, businesses are starting to hire again, um, and they're sensing some, you know, cause for perhaps cautious optimism um, that we might see some some uptick there. But of course, it's a balancing act. And, uh, and you mentioned um, in a recent column for one of our publications down in Australia, <clears throat> uh, the Rum Rebellion, that um, that you're keeping an eye on uh, some inflation indicators and looking at the the prices tick upwards. So I'm wondering if we're, you know, what what tools the powers that be have at hand in order to make sure that <laughs> to, that we we get back to normal, but we don't um, we don't shoot our wad and um, and you know <laughs> I, th I think I can say that on a family on a family. Um, production, but uh, yeah, that we don't overheat and, and, you know, uh, and that we're able to contain inflationary pressures. They're morons, you know, whatever they're saying about, about <laughs> that's the short answer. <laughs> yeah, it's wrong. They're, they're wrong. They're wrong mm -hmm. about inflation being transitory. They're wrong about mm -hmm. knowing that it, that, that they'll know when it's coming and then they'll be able to do something about it. And in fact, the recent discussion for most of the Fed officials is that it's not necessary to taper, you know, the $40 billion a month they've been purchasing mortgage-backed securities. Uh, 
so even if the economy is strong, it still needs uh, uh, extraordinary support in the form of quantitative easing. And, you know, you have to be willfully blind not to see what's going on. So uh, since we last spoke, uh, there was research that came out that showed that median house prices across the country had gone up by 19% year over year. And I think that was in April. It was the highest year over year increase since uh, 2005, which was really when most of the subprime uh, mortgage originations hit the market. You had a lot in, in 2006 as well, but but really 2005 was the peak. So 350, 340,000 is the national median price. And of course, in some markets, it's much higher. In other markets, it's much lower. But you know, the pandemic accelerated uh, people moving to places where they could work remotely. But I, uh, I think if you step back and look at it uh, in terms of what's happened to the money supply and what the Fed's been doing, this is a kind of de-dollarization. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's one people expressing a preference for security to have a place to call home, but it's also people literally wanting to own a hard asset and, right. uh, and get rid of dollars. And at the same time, you know, uh, I wrote in the recent Bonner Denning letter that, that gets published uh, that today, in fact, as we're recording, that uh, meat prices, chicken prices, uh, bacon prices, who doesn't love bacon? Bacon prices are the highest they've almost ever been. And mm -hmm. so you go to the grocery aisle and you see that food is expensive. And I know that, that you, you might have some insight into that having just come from Argentina because it's a, it's a global story. But everywhere you look uh at the retail level food fuel and housing prices are going up and the fed doesn't think there's a problem by the time they realize it is it's going to have flattened everybody right well i mean we can start with per, perhaps your observation about housing prices we were again another kind of dinner table conversation here just a few nights ago uh about the second hot, hottest property market in the country which is phoenix uh, right behind Boise, Idaho, which maybe came off a low base or something. I don't know. Or was part of that sixth migration that you've been talking about, de-urbanization. Well, Boise was on the Bolt Hole Tour. I went there a couple of years okay. ago. And it's uh, it's got an airport. And I think the, the preference is, just to interrupt you real quick, I, yeah, I can yeah. tell you why. It's ca it's Californians. It's people right. from Northern California. That's what it is. And so the, are these the kind, is this the kind of Zoom town phenomenon that, that people have been talking about where – you know, you don't want to be paying, I don't know, San Francisco Cupertino prices for your, your rental when you can, you can live in a beautiful place where it's, it's open and you don't have to suffer uh, COVID restrictions and all that kind of stuff. Is that more or less what's happening? I, I think so. I, I think that, that to the extent that people sort of panic bought uh, in Western, mid-sized Western towns to get out of the East Coast, the Midwest or the, the West Coast, then there was a certain number of places that were extremely attractive. Missoula was one of them. Bozeman was one of them. Uh, Boise was one of them. Uh, Jackson Hole's too expensive. Santa Fe was already too expensive. But uh, but some other places, especially in Texas or even in Florida, where where the, the the state governments were less onerous with their COVID restrictions. So if you're used to paying either uh, for an apartment in in Midtown Manhattan or uh, something in the in the Bay Area, uh, in California, even if Boise house prices doubled, they would still be cheap compared to what you would pay back back home. So right. it was a case of, of of high credit ratings with high price expectations, meeting prices that were at were, were still coming off a, a low base, but comparatively cheaper.
And then, of course, you've got the other considerations. And I, I know as this de-urbanization uh, trend seems to gain traction and, and pace, people are looking at, you know, looking over their shoulders at places like New York and San Francisco and Chicago and looking at the violence uh, and just kind of societal unrest that's happening in those places, which has, has got to uh, confirm for many people their decision to to move to the Boise's or the Bozeman's or the, um, you know, those other places that you mentioned. Um, but I wanted to ask, with regards to the de-dollarization of people who are seeing, you know, the potential kind of sparks in, in the tinderbox with regards to inflation and they, they're desirous to own a hard asset, uh, you know, real estate is... It's, it's not only, you know, well, it's functional as well. At the end of the day, it's, it's a roof over your head. It's something that you can, that you can use. Um, but I was, I was thinking about this the other day with regards to the fact if your house goes up, let's say 19%, um, if the house next door goes up 19% and the house in the next block goes up 19%, then, um, you know, it's, it's one of those situations where you might not be relatively better off than you know anybody else in that particular geographical market, but the fact that it's gone up relative to the dollars that you just got out of has got to be a very attractive motivation for people to to jump in that um, that investment trend. Yeah, well, it's FOMO again. You know, with thirty-year mm. fixed mortgage is is at or near three percent in most places in the country, and uh, when you see prices going up, I think a lot of people think, "Well, gosh, I need to get in." And if I wait, what am I waiting for? Well, mm -hmm. Borrowing money is really cheap, and house prices just keep going up. I think, like we were talking about a couple of weeks ago, with respect to measuring your Bitcoin wealth in dollars. The question is whether you're doing this because you think you're getting richer and you intend to treat your home as a as a speculative investment. That's what happened in 2000 in the housing boom, and um, people, you know, there were more real estate agents than 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 buyers, and and people were flipping houses and and owning multiple mortgages and thinking this is this this is a trick that I've discovered on how to get wealthy without doing any work. Mm -hmm. And if we, I don't think we're there yet in the housing market because I think you also had a shortage of supply, or at least new 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 home construction during the pandemic. It partly explains the just bizarre increase in lumber prices. Uh, so you know, there's a there's a confluence of factors that to it. But to the extent that there's a sort of spidey sense that oh my gosh, I better get rid of this money before, because things are getting more expensive. That's the quickest way to get rid of a lot of cash. Right. <laughs> and the truth is a lot of Americans don't, don't have a lot of cash. So, you know, you, it, it, if you're doing a 10% deposit or, or, you know, it depends on what kind of loan you get and how much they're asking you to put down. But, you know, we don't really know how much cash the average American family could scrape together to put down on a house. But mm -hmm. at the end of the day, the thinking is, why shouldn't I borrow as much money as possible and buy something real yeah. uh, before it gets more expensive? And are there any um, are there any hard numbers or or um, indicators that you look at that gives some um, some overview as to the real estate market with regards to primary residences versus speculative properties? Um, you know, people wanting to 
wanting to get in for that FOMO reason that you were talking about? Or are people upgrading their existing places, putting more more of that stimmy money check that maybe they got last year or small business loans or whatever back into, into real assets? Uh, do, do you look at any of that stuff or? Yeah, there, there is research on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the sort of thing I would go into in the newsletter if, if I were gonna focus on that, that you look at new homes, you, new, you look at existing homes. To answer your question, there are individual metrics which tell you what type of activity is taking place in the housing market. But, um, and also, you know, the United States is a country of 330 million people. So real estate is local. You've got to look at, uh, at a neighborhood, zip code by zip code level to, to figure out what's going on. The, th- the common thread is the cost of credit and the cost mm-hmm. of money. And that seems to me to be a, like what we saw in 2005, that it's fueling a, uh, what's turning into an emotional anxiety about not not buying, needing to buy now. Now, I would prefer, I think you can either buy a house or you can buy some silver. So, mm-hmm. you know, silver, uh, I, I was looking at it. I wrote about it. You've got um, the gold silver ratio is on its way to a five-year low at around 60. I'm looking at it this morning, around 62. Uh, the last time gold took off, that silver went with it, and the gold silver ratio dropped down to around 35. We've got a little slight delay here, but you're talking about 62 ounces of gold. Sorry, sorry, 62 ounces of silver per ounce of gold um, at at a five-year low. And what was the the last uh, high water mark there? So uh, in 2012, that ratio went all the way down, I think, to 30 uh, briefly. So uh, that was silver at 50 bucks or something like that? Yeah, that's about right. So I said if if gold went to 2,500 bucks, Mm-hmm. which is it would be a new high in nominal terms indicate a new bull market that's a 30 percent gaining the gold price from, from about where it is right now but if the, but if it did that and the gold silver ratio went to 40 then that's silver at uh 100 when well, I'm, I'm trying to get my math here i think that's silver at, at close well you've got about 123 percent gain on the current silver price uh oh, okay if it went lots to, more upside uh, there yeah, so so it's it's just what happens in a precious metals bull market that gold moves first, silver moves late, the retail money gets in. So now the truth is, you still can't buy silver at the at the price that the the paper exchanges say that it's at. <laughs> it's still trading at a, a significant premium to the spot price, and so it's hard to. You know, you don't want to pay that big of a premium if you don't have to. So you have to find a reputable uh, bullion dealer. But I think that's why that premium is so high that that at the smaller end, the small ticket purchase instead of a house, uh, <laughs> silver price silver prices are showing that people are are fearing inflation as well. Okay, uh, so how do you go about? Because obviously, taking sixty ounces delivery of of, uh, of silver is different than taking you know one of gold. How do you go about uh, making a meaningful investment in that? You do it with uh, you, you know you, you you keep it in a in a third party vault, or you take ownership of it, or you ha, what's your preference? Uh, my preference is to stack it to yeah. take it. Put it in your house, put it in your basement, find some PVC, have a safe. You know, the, the benefit of precious metals ownership, in my view, from a, uh, is, is physical possession. If it's, not, if it's not in your hot little hand, it's not really yours. 
mm-hmm. and you know having to go get it uh and get permission to get it or there's an emergency there's a reason you need it and those are all barriers now there's risks that are associated with having a large volume of gold or silver so you know if you do have a large volume uh, it becomes a practical problem of, and, and a risk you know an insurance risk a fire risk somebody might rob you you know those are all legitimate things you have to be discreet about about those things you don't go telling everybody oh yeah i got a new safe and i just put you know my monster box in there <laughs> you got a my bill bonner voice i always I was getting, <laughs> but uh but anyway i i think um you know the the interesting thing for for investors or speculators is uh looking at the stocks looking at the indices looking at some of the etfs and looking at leverage um if that's your if that's your game and you want to leverage what you think the, the price gains will be there are ways to do that uh, but mm-hmm. that's a financial spe- speculation. That is not functional wealth, real asset reason for for um, for owning those things. But but those are the things that we, I wrote about a little bit in the in the uh, the most recent newsletter, and also sort of uh, part of this. Uh, well, I think there are three great dots we're connecting. That there seem to be three great resets happening as part of the greatest reset. One is. Uh, an energy reset, this so-called energy transition. One is a monetary reset, preparing people for a so- central bank digital currency. And apparently there's a culinary reset coming on because the more you look, the more you see that weirdly and disgustingly, a lot of academic research and government, uh, especially in Europe, government bureaucracies are encouraging the human consumption of insects as a equivalent replacement for protein from from animals so yeah. we're being groomed to become bug eaters and i don't know why <laughs> i don't know i don't know why they're doing that because you know i don't like my cockroaches medium rare i like my beef medium rare yeah i, I saw <laughs> yeah, i saw a uh, a story just kind of crawl across the <laughs> the bottom of my screen <laughs> to stick with the metaphor uh, just before we got on the on the call here and it was it was from one of the newswise writers i think talking about uh, everybody's favorite doom goblin, Greta Thunberg, um, and her now not not content with merely deigning to know the correct temperature that the world ought to exist at and how everybody should get there and what behavior needs to be curtailed in order for us to live at the blissful uh, you know, equilibrium that she has designed uh, for us all. But she's now waded into the... Um, what the world ought to eat, how they ought to farm, um, because of a range of problems that she has <laughs> she has identified. One being um, our interaction with animals and animal to human uh, viruses and diseases, which it now looks like COVID probably wasn't that, but that's a whole other that's a whole other episode or two, perhaps. <laughs> um, and then, of course, you know the the, the usual tropes w- with regards to uh, carbon emissions and so on and so forth. But it, yeah, it does look like we're getting shaped and groomed and told what we're going to eat and how we're going to do it and how we're going to behave and where we're going to spend our money and when we're going to be taxed. And 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 it's these are worrying worrying trends to be sure for the buggy for the non buggy eaters among us. <laughs> well, they're driven by the same people who said the world was collapsing in the 1970s. But it's, instead of just being a Malthusian argument about scarcity and sustainability, saying eventually we're going to run out of stuff, it, it's now 
there's now a sort of uh, disturbing element to it that human beings are actually parasite. They're a net negative for the health of the planet. And uh, they, they, they use oil, they eat too much food, they, they, um, they use too much energy, and uh, they spend too much money. They think we're the problem. They think human beings are the problem and that uh, this, this impulse for control won't go away, even though COVID has become, uh, as, as the cause of belli is gone, I think that they will eat bugs, drive electric vehicles, own nothing, and here's your digital money, shut up. Yeah. All right. Well, on that cheery uh, note, let's <laughs> let's wrap this uh, this episode, mate. Um, I know you've you've mentioned beforehand that you've got uh, a chicken pot pie in the oven for filling. Was it Roosevelt's? Um, who was who was it that uh, a pot pie in every oven and a, a motor car in every garage? Two chickens in it. Two in every pot. Uh, <laughs> okay. Mate. Let's leave it there for the moment, mate. I really appreciate you taking the time and we'll catch up again soon. (laughs) Cheers, Dan. See you, Joel. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Bonner Private Research Podcast. You can find more conversations like this in the members-only section of our website at bonnerprivateresearch.com. If you would like to contact us, please address compliments and complaints alike to podcast at bonnerprivateresearch.com. We look forward to hearing from you either way. Until next week.